listening to Rootbound, a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. Are you tired of plants that just sit there? That don't try to eat any bugs at all? Then you need Venus Flytraps! The sponsor of this episode of Rootbound, Venus Flytraps! They can really eat! Hey everybody, thank you for listening to Rootbound. I am the host of the show, and my name is Steve. And Rootbound is the podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside. And each week, I invite a guest who joins me on the show to share with us all about a plant that means something to them. And then I share with a guest about a plant that means something to me. And through this process, we can all learn more about plants and learn more about each other. It is the philosophy of Rootbound that everybody can share a plant that's meaningful to them because plants are so fundamental to our lives as humans on this planet. Before we meet our guest today, let's talk conifers. You know, we've done over 80 episodes here and somehow we're going to be talking about our first conifer today, which is pretty surprising because conifers are exceptional plants, literally exceptional. Uh, According to Wikipedia, the world's tallest, thickest, largest, and oldest living trees are all conifers. They're not the same tree. <laughs> there are a few different ones, but that's pretty uh, fantastic. Now, conifers get their names because of the uh, cones they make. Uh, you know pine cones. Um, conifer uh, literally means cone-bearing, and uh, cones are are these special, you know, uh, seed or pollen-bearing structures. They're actually, I guess, kind of a modified stem, if I understand correctly. And the technical term for a pine cone is a strobilis. Presenting the Cones of Dunshire, a brand new gaming experience. Now the object is to accumulate cones, four cones wins, but in order to get a cone, you have to build a civilization. Hi Erica, thank you for joining me on this episode of Rootbound. Hi Steve, thanks so much for having me. You're very welcome. Do you have a plant to share with us today? Yeah, so I'm really excited to talk about pinion pines. Very cool. I think... Like, I know that's a word, but I don't think I can, like, picture or how it's different from other pines. Um, but I do think you are the first conifer on the show, if if I'm wrong, audience, maybe not. Uh, so that's very exciting as well. Awesome. All right. Well, the pinions are great. Wonderful. Well, let's, let's start with why uh, pinion pines are meaningful to you. Why did you choose that plant today? Sure. So, um, you know, pinion pines uh, produce pine nuts. Uh, the, the kind of pine nuts that you buy at the grocery store. Oh. So, yeah, and and so the first, you know, we import most of our pine nuts and we get them already shelled. But uh, the U.S. is home to an estimated uh, sixty to a hundred million acres of pinion juniper forest, where pinion pines are producing pine nuts that um, most people don't get a chance to taste. And so the first time, yeah, yeah. So the first (laughs) time I encountered our native pinions, I was in the process of a big life change. I was teaching elementary school in Los Angeles, and I decided to move up to the mountains of Mammoth Lakes and I was I was still working in LA, so I was going back and forth on 395 in the Eastern Sierra. And every time I would drive that route, I would stop in the town of Bishop and buy a bag 
of pine nuts still in their shells and eat them like sunflower seeds, you know, spitting the shells out the window as I drove that route. And I absolutely loved them. So, you know, fast forward a couple of years and I had moved to the mountains of Colorado um, with the man who was going to be my husband. And we did a road trip back to California and at a rest stop in Utah, I found the same nuts on the ground under some trees. And I was so excited because I love them. <sighs> and, you know, I was interested in foraging as a child, but I had kind of rekindled that interest after moving to Colorado. And so to find something so delicious and wild that I really coveted was really exciting for me. It was kind of galvanizing in my journey towards becoming a foraging teacher. Very interesting. Um, you said a couple things there. First of all, I, I uh, lived in California a lot and we used to spend a lot of time at, at Mammoth Lake as well. So oh, that really? was just a weird like um, <laughs> nostalgia thing. And also like Bishop, like that's a town that I remember driving through or whatever. So anyway, that's that's funny. Um, but uh, that's super interesting about, I, like, I guess I didn't realize that's where the like pine nuts came from. Pinyons. I mean, the ones that we get, I always think of it being like a European thing or like a middle eastern thing maybe is it a same genus or what's the deal with the ones that we put in our our uh our uh pesto versus like the ones that you're talking about sure so um yeah pinion pines uh, most of the pine nuts that we get commercially are imported from europe and asia so you're absolutely right about that um and and they can come from a variety of different trees but they're all in the same genus pinus which has all pines in it, mm -hmm. some of which produce edible nuts of a decent size for eating, and some of which produce very tiny nuts that are still edible, but um, yeah, probably oh, okay. not going to put in the work. <laughs> so like, do all pine cones have some kind of nut-like thing in them? Sure. So they're seeds, right? And we're just calling them nuts, but they're seeds. So okay. all pine cones have seeds in them. And if you peel back the scales, you can look in there and see them. So the pinion seeds are quite big. You know, they can be up to, you know, a half inch long, um, depending on the species. But then, you know, the, the, the pinions of the U.S. are found in the Western U.S. Mm -hmm. So they have these wingless seeds that are up to half an inch long. Now the pines in the eastern United States have much smaller seeds and many of them are attached to a little wing that mm. helps disperse the seed um, in reproduction. But the, the fact of being wingless is one of the traits of our various pinion pine species. Interesting. I guess the, the, they're trading off that uh, that like wind-based thing for a little extra fat or something, I guess, is the 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 biological i don't know I, if plants make choices i guess that's what that's happening there well well there are animals that disperse the pinions sure um, that's yes uh interesting okay that's super cool um okay uh, i have questions but i'm gonna just like, turn it over to you for a little bit more because i think you have some interesting things to say and i, I i'll get my uh questions in order here a little bit later okay well um sure i'll tell you i'll tell you a couple more things about these pine nuts that I got um, in California. So that species is the single leaf pinion, Pinus monophylla. Mm. And um, it's interesting because all of our pines, one of the ways you tell a pine from other conifers 
is that the needles come out of the branch in groups and they're wrapped at the base with a little bit of papery stuff. But the single leaf pinion has just a single needle that almost looks like two needles that remained fused together into um, just a, like like evolution didn't get to dividing that leaf into Interesting. two. Interesting. I'm know? looking at a picture of it right now. Yeah, so th these guys are found like in, in the Eastern Sierra, in Nevada, California, they come into Utah. Um, but the nuts are quite big and, and they're very starchy. And then in Colorado, we have Pinus edulis, which has needles in bunches of two. And that species is common in like the Four Corners region where Colorado, Utah, Arizona, and New Mexico intersect. And that has smaller nuts but they're fattier. So some mm. people prefer those um, to the ones further west. Interesting. Interesting. So choice of starchy versus versus fatty, but then size. And that's cool. Yeah. And, you know, pinion pines, there's actually um, quite a number of species. The center of diversity in North America is in Mexico. So if mm. you were to go down, if you're looking for heirloom pine nuts... Mexico is a good place to go. Um, you know, in fact, I, I have another fond memory which even predates finding those wild pinions. When I was traveling through Mexico as a young woman and I went to a candy shop and they had this caramel candy called cajeta. Oh, I love that which, stuff. <laughs> so do I. And it had pine nuts pressed into the exterior. It oh. was the most delicious thing ever. Cool. And what part of Mexico was that? Gosh. I believe I found those candies in Cuernavaca. Interesting. I have to yeah. ask my, uh, my, my wife is Mexican. We're going down there soon for some holidays, oh. but her, her, her dad always brings us up the obleas when he comes oh. up, which are the, you know, yeah. those are like had this in between like the little like communion wafers essentially. Yeah, totally. But, <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, the pine nut one sounds really cool. I'm gonna have to ask him about those. I, every now and then come to him with some, you know, thing I've heard about wanting to try and he normally tries to track it down for me. So I'm going to try that. Do you know what they were called? Yeah, no. Okay, no. that's right. I'll um, describe it. Is your now what area of Mexico is your wife from? So she's from Mexico City, but but her oh, dad okay. is from Monterrey, which the cajeta stuff is a lot of their candies are very cajeta based up there. Yeah, okay, because I would say probably the pinion pines. Don't quote me on this, but probably from about central Mexico north, because yeah, they're that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, Ooh. that's awesome. <laughs> okay, I have some questions. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. First, let's talk about that name. Why? Why? What does this pinion? What does pinion mean? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, and I might digress for just a second. But I love digressing. This, yeah, the Spanish word for pine nuts is piñones, uh, and then pinion is like the you know the anglicized version, uh -huh. um, and so in fact. Um, you know, I, I want to mention that pinions are a very important cultural food to many indigenous peoples from mm -hmm. Mexico through the desert southwest up into the into the Sierras of, of Nevada and California. And, um, you know, so we, we owe a debt of gratitude for everything we know about these trees and their nutritious seeds um, to indigenous peoples. And so but I, I mentioned that because. Um, some people object to the term pine nuts. In fact, there's a, a Navajo woman, a Diné woman, who is a friend of mine who says, you don't call them pine nuts, they're pinions. 
So, um, mm. yeah, there's there's some, yeah, and then there's a woman I know who is a commercial harvester of our wild southwestern pinions, and she says the Nevada ones are called pine nuts, and the Colorado New Mexico ones are called pinions. So that <laughs> okay. there's there's a lot in that name. <laughs> yeah, interesting. But well, it's also kind of funny that it's this like English transition of the Spanish word for pine, so that kind of means like we're kind of calling them pine pines. Oh, well, so in Spanish, pine would be pino, I believe. Okay. Oh, and okay. then the type of pine that produces these nuts would be pinon with the oh. tilde over the N. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so we uh, are just in... transliterating directly. You are calling them pinon. Yeah. Pines. Pinions. P-I-N-Y-O-N. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah, often yeah. spelled like that. Yeah. Interesting. Nothing to do with the mechanical part that's like in like a steering column or something like that. Right. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Interesting idea. <laughs> I only know that there's a word called pinion related to mechanical. I'm not a mechanical person anyway, but I they're they're not they're just completely unrelated etymologically, I guess. I I would assume so. I've actually never heard that word so in that context. Uh, there's there's a thing called rack and pinion. It's some kind of mechanical term. Oh. Uh, but a pinion is some. Uh, I'm I'm not googling it fast enough, but it is is. Uh, any mechanical engineers listening are probably throwing their phone right now. But anyways, <laughs> it's not the word pinion and pinion pine. It does not seem to be related to the pinion uh, mechanical uh, at all, the mechanical thing <laughs> at all. A pinion is a circular gear, I guess, in some, oh, in some mechanical okay. thing. So yeah, seems unrelated. Good to know. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, do you have any other fun facts and dazzling details about I pinion pine? I have so many, awesome. so you'll just have to cut me off when it's time. But okay. um, <laughs> so I going. think that another story. This is yet another story of of pinion and it being meaningful to me. But um, just a little backstory. So there's different ways to harvest the pinion nuts. Um, you know, you can harvest the cones. Like if you go in midsummer to pinion pine country, which is pretty much our high deserts of the West, where people mountain bike and they rock climb. And the pinions are found not on the desert floor, but at a slightly higher elevation, but below the forested regions of the upper mountains. And um, so if you go in midsummer, uh, you know, you don't get a good, you don't get a good pinion year every year. So if you go in midsummer and see if there are green cones crusting the trees, that's a sign you might get a good pinion year mm. that year. And so there's different ways to harvest the pinions. You can collect the green cones kind of late in summer and then either roast them open or dry them. So the scales open up and you see these nuts seeded inside the scales. Mm. It's usually two side by side. They look like plump little eggs. And, um, yeah, so, or you can wait a little later in the season until the cones turn brown and they start to open of their own accord. Mm. And when that happens, there's a short period of time where you can lay a tarp or a blanket under the tree and shake the trees or hit the branches and the nuts come raining down onto your blanket. Oh, cool. Yeah, and then a third technique is just to wait until the nuts all fall and pick them up off the ground. And I, I bring that all up because it's very interesting. Not everyone thinks it's okay to shake the trees. Okay. And so I, um, I a few years ago, I took myself on a solo road trip out to the Great Basin, to Great Basin National Park in Nevada 
to study and harvest single leaf pinion nuts. And I met a Navajo couple there in their 70s who were up from Arizona to do, you know, doing the same thing. And we ended up picking pinions together for a few days. And so for them, um, and for many Navajo people, shaking the trees is totally taboo. Uh -huh. And if you shake or hit the trees, early winter will come and cut your harvest short. Uh -huh. And so, um, so of course, I didn't I didn't uh, shake any trees in their presence. I didn't want to insult anybody or upset anybody, but um, I had practiced shaking the trees the week before in Colorado. And then wouldn't you know it, um, early winter came to the Great Basin oh on that trip. And the temperatures dropped to 14 degrees overnight. I was in my tent with everything I owned on and two sleeping bags and my, my water bottle froze in the tent. And I, you know, it, it seems like it might've been my fault. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, that's really interesting. Okay, something just came to mind there, but I wanna go a little bit back towards the way. So in this case, were you just harvesting from the ground then? Yeah, totally. That seems yeah. like pretty difficult because they're not like they're very big, right? So like, is it, I mean. Well, those Nevada ones are fairly decent sized okay. and you you want to go when there's been a banner year and there was a banner year. And and quite frankly, uh, Great Basin National Park doesn't allow you to hit the trees either. Uh -huh. um, they have, a, they actually have a regulation, but so that you're just sitting there. Yeah, you're sitting there picking them up and putting them in your pail or my friend was using a, a, a soup spoon for hers, you know, okay. um, but it's painstaking. It's yeah. time consuming. Um, but I just love them so much that I do it. Um, yeah. And, and you know, then, okay. So I'm trying to organize my thoughts here. The, the shaking the tree thing is really interesting. It reminds me of, um, there's a, there's a plant we have out here called the pawpaw, which I'm sure you've, you've heard of it being in the foraging world. Um, but, uh, there is, you know, pawpaws, they're not ready until they're, they're ready. And if you can't pick them from the tree, they won't ever ripen off the tree. They have to be ripe. And so some people will, there's a technique, and I've done this before, where you shake the tree, and if they fall, they're ripe. But there is this, this is not quite the same because I think shaking the tree is a lot, but there is a, there is a degree of sh tree shake because you can shake it and get them to fall. But if you do, but if you do it too hard, it's just like picking them. They'll never ripen. So you have to give it the subtlest shake just to see if they're, and so you get the feel of it because there's times you're like, oh, I see one up there. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna get this one down, and you shake it, and then you've like, you know, you've ruined that fruit for yourself and everybody because it's never gonna ripen uh, because it, you did it too much. So it's an interesting, I think, of when the when the tree's ready to give you the fruit is an interesting kind of thing to to think about. Yeah, I'm so envious. I've I've eaten pawpaws. I've looked for pawpaws and and gotten there too late. But I it's on my bucket list to spend some time in pawpaw country. Yeah, yeah you got to come in just the right week and a half, basically. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wherever you are, you are. Um, okay. Um, you mentioned eating them like sunflower seeds, which sounds pretty cool. But if you're not doing that, if you want to make a pesto, it seems like it also could be pretty painstaking work to shell them. What what kind of methods do you have to get at the, the nut sure. meat in there? Yeah. Yeah, my Navajo friend tried to teach me her method with the mano and matate. You know, we actually went around looking for good rocks that she could use, but um no, I'm not that good at shelling them in quantity. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried a bunch of different methods. You know, when in 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 China, which is one of our big exporter of pine nuts, um, 
they use really big commercial machines that mm -hmm. take up like a whole room in order to de-shell pine nuts. So yeah, harvesting our wild ones, um, there are some methods that people use, uh, often involving types of machinery, but I haven't uh, found a good efficient way to shell them in, in quantity. So I frankly like them more as a snack. Mm -hmm. Cool. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned you knew someone who's who's doing a commercial harvest, which I'm always really interested in those those wild plants that can be commercially harvested and done sustainably because there's not so many of them, I think, right? But generally, the ones I know about, a lot of them are nuts, I think, because nuts are kind of made to to like gather, I guess. And and um, but I'm curious about that process, like how is that done? You can't, I mean, it seems like a very slow thing, or, or yeah, it's, that's quite interesting. Yeah, sure. So yeah, in the Western US, um, in public land areas, there are um, pinion producing forests where people can bid on contracts to wow. to commercially harvest them. I don't think it's a huge um, industry. Sure. Um, but the, the woman that I'm talking about, her she goes by the name Pinion Penny Frazier. And she's been doing commercial pinion harvesting for some years she told me a little about what they do you know it, i mentioned that um uh cones can be harvested before they open mm -hmm. and then dried to open and as far as i most of the ethnobotanical references i've found to that are related to the pinus monophylla the single leaf pinion mm -hmm. further west but um Pinion Penny has been doing that with the, the Colorado or New Mexico pinion found in the Four Corners. Um, so th what her harvesters do, they have it's 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 grueling work and it's sticky work because when you're harvesting the cones, they are dripping with pitch, oh. and so they harvest them with you know like a claw affixed to like a rake and knock them down and lay them out to dry and then they have some machines i didn't get the full details uh, from her but one of them is a a tumbler that kind of tumbles them to to knock the seeds out and then they run it through that a couple of times um and i'm not sure what the processing is after that but yeah there is a, a there are some people in the commercial business. Here's an interesting, here's a fun fact for you. Although it's not big business in the U.S., um, the pine nuts, she told me this actually, the pine nuts used to be traded on the Chicago Stock Exchange. Interesting. interesting. Yeah, our, our local pine nuts. Yeah. That is so fascinating because you think, you know, I mean, there's it. We, we all eat a lot of pesto, I think. It's like a staple for, you know, pesto is <laughs> very popular. And so you think that it, there'd be like a bigger demand for pine nuts. And I, don't, I mean, are those commercially grown trees in other places? I oh, guess? good question. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yes, around the world, actually, pine nuts are mostly a wild harvested product wow. harvested by hand. Like in China, pickers will scale 60 to 100 foot trees with spiked shoes and use hooked sticks to knock them off. So when we, and, and the pine nut business has boomed in the last decade or more, um, you know, there's a lot more demand for pine nuts. And so if, if the reason they're so expensive is it's a hand harvested wild mm. product. And because of that, um, it's subject to the whims of precipitation, other, you know, other weather variables. And so one year you're getting most of your pine nut imports from China and the next year you might be getting it. Um, 
you know, from a different region. North Korea actually produces a lot of plants. Wow. wow. Yeah. That is fascinating. That is interesting. And I, I guess, I guess the, the, I mean, maybe there were, you said they were traded in the stock market. Maybe there was a time where I guess labor prices in the U.S. were at a point where there was a larger commercial industry, but that's maybe the only thing that's, it seems like we have a lot of pine nuts. Like, why are we getting our pine nuts from elsewhere? But it's probably a labor cost <laughs> thing, I guess, right? I'm, well, I'm with you. And I actually yeah. think, and, and, and Pinion Penny has really influenced my thinking on this, but I think there is room for, actually, I'm going to mention another person, Samuel Thayer, who's the author of oh, a yeah. number of foraging books. And he has coined a term, eco-culture, which is this idea of instead of, or, or I mean, because with agriculture, for the most part, you know, we like strip a field bare and then mm -hmm. we plant what we're planting, we grow it. And so you you end up needing inputs like nitrogen and things because you start, you, you, you know, you start to, to um, wound the land. And, and his idea of ecoculture is that there are some wild products, like his, his example is maple syrup. Mm -hmm. um, where you could manage a maple woods, you know, a woodland of maple trees for syrup production, but the, the trees are already there. They're already producing um, the sap that you need for syrup. But then you can also encourage, you know, the animals and the plants that live there. You're not, it's not a destructive practice. And mm -hmm. so his idea of ecoculture is that we, we, there are potentially other wild products that are very good that we could manage the wild stands and, you know, and, and make a living from them, but while also, you know, promoting um, or, or, or conserving or protecting the environment, you know, in which those uh, plants grow. So, you know, the pinion pines, um, the pinion juniper woodland covers, the estimates are wildly variable, but 60 to 100 million acres, I think I said it before, in the Western US. And, you know, the pinion pines over the years have been um, like intentionally destroyed uh, mm. for mining. They were fueling the kilns uh -huh. um, in early mining days. And then even after that, there was a big practice of what's called chaining, where they drag a an anchor chain between two tractors and just yank out these ancient trees in order oh to make more land for grazing. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and so now, uh, you know, and the, the proponents of chaining, which still happens, um, would say that the pinions are invading the grasslands and that's not, they are native species. That's not so far fetched, however, because when we stopped allowing wildfires to burn in their periodic rotations, mm. um, woody plants have been coming into our grasslands, right? Sure, so, right. So, yeah. but, but even so, I think I have some statistics for you. I wouldn't call these fun facts, but, um, you know, from 1950 to 1964, an estimated 3 million acres were converted to pasture by chaining. That, wow. um, yeah, that comes from um, Ronald Lanner's book, The Pinion Pine. And that, and only nine percent of old growth pinion remains in Nevada, and twenty percent in Utah. And that was from a paper by O'Brien and Woodenberg. So, yeah, chaining still happens. There are still, it is still hotly debated. But what if we could, what if we could um, manage more of those stands for production of nuts? Maybe we could protect some of those ancient forests and 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 the, you know, the biological crusts underneath them and the archaeological sites and so forth. I used to be able to name every nut. 
that there was. And that used to drive my mother crazy because she used to say, Harlan Pepper, if you don't stop naming nuts. And the joke was, of course, that we lived in Pine Nut. And I think that's what put it in my head at that, at that point. So I'd go to sleep. She'd hear me in the other room and she would just start yelling. I'd say, Peanut, Hazelnut, Cashew Nut, Macadamia Nut. That was the one that would send her <laughs> into a, going crazy. She said, you stop naming nuts. Pine Nut, which is a nut, but it's also the name of the town. Well, thank you for sharing about the pinion pines with me. Do you mind if I share a plant with you? I'm excited to see what you picked. Okay, so this one is a little uh, one of those ones that's maybe a little bit more aspirational because I really don't have a lot of super in-person experience with this plant. But I'm also kind of hoping that maybe you'll have some stuff to chime in. You may or may not. I was thinking the range of this is a little bit in your area, but now I'm realizing that maybe it's not. So when I get to it, if you have stuff to say, please jump in. If not, I will try to carry my weight. Um, but the reason why it's meaningful for, to me, and I'll tell you what it is in a second, kind of has to do with like childhood and some misunderstandings of what it was. Um, so I was I was born in Texas, in Dallas, Texas. And in Texas, we uh, we do a lot of barbecue. And a very common kind of barbecue in Texas is mesquite barbecue. So that's my plant is mesquite. Oh, okay. And... Um, but I was confused as a kid because I knew there's Mesquite Barbecue, but there's also a town near Dallas called Mesquite. And so as a kid, I didn't know that Mesquite was a tree. Uh huh. I thought that it was just a style of barbecue from this town in Texas. Um, and so uh, when I was thinking about what plant to choose and I was just thinking about like, you're choosing pinion pines and I was like, well, what's a, what's a plant that kind of has a similar range and maybe is a slightly semi-arid tree? And I was like, oh yeah, Mesquite. What, what do I know about mesquite? And I realized, like, I've probably seen mesquite trees when I was a kid in Texas, but as before, I was, like, very plant-aware. Um, and now I've do done some reading about them, and they're super interesting. Um, but, yeah, it was it's funny, because I was like, I just I just thought it was named after a place. Now, now I'll talk about that place now. The, the place Mesquite, Texas, is named after a creek called Mesquite, which is in turn <laughs> named after the, the plentiful mesquite trees that at least once were there. So it is related to the tree, um, but, but it's not, yeah, I just, it, it, my, my child brain had, had it all confused. And so, um, that's why I chose this plan and that's why it's, uh, it's meaningful to me. Yeah. Oh, well, I, I, I am very interested in mesquite and I don't know a lot about it. I do know that, um, you know, it's a, it's a legume, there are various species, but they're, they're legumes and the pods that they produce are an important source of flour um, for people in the Southwest and so and, and have been for a long time. So I have very much wanted to learn more about mesquite and be a part of a mesquite harvest. So you've got a good parallel there with the pinions because the mesquite are also an important food source. Yeah, I didn't, I, when you were, when you're talking about pinion, I think I didn't realize that you, the pine nuts were going to be so integral. I didn't realize how like related the plants were in that way. Um, and so that's pretty interesting. And yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't, I don't know. I need to learn more. I didn't dive as deep into like the, the harvesting of the, 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 the beans, I guess they technically are beans. Um, but, but that's something I'm really interested in. And I'm, I actually have on the way. I, well, I, I think I didn't hit go yet. Cause I was trying to decide which vendor I want to buy some flour from. And now I'm going to have to do that with some pine nuts as well. Um, 
but I want to kind of experiment with it and understand how you can use it. Cause yeah, I think it's, it's one of those things that is, um, like the pine nuts. It is this, it is this very plentiful source of food that I think most people just don't even see, right? There's places in Texas in the South where there's just tons of mesquite trees and they can be food, but most people just refer, think of them as a nuisance when they fall on the ground, right? Um, which I think is always kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, we've we've lost a lot. I mean, it, I wouldn't say lost, but I mean, a lot. There are a lot of wild foods in plain sight that uh -huh. the majority of people don't know are a food. I mean, you can even find that with um, pecans, yeah. pecans on the ground under trees. I'm assuming in your in your in your region where you grew up, and then and they're just sitting there, and people not picking them up, or and some totally. people are. I mean, but some people, but a lot of people aren't. Totally, it's and I, I talked about this in a number of episodes. I it's I'm sure someone has formalized this theory, or maybe I've heard it from somewhere, but it's basically this idea that um, our capitalist society doesn't know how to deal with things that are really abundant because you can't sell something that's basically free, and so when things are like just out there for free. They, they kind of get ignored because we live in this place where you go to the store and you buy things and you have to buy something that's that's uh, that's scarce. So that, we just don't see those things anymore. That's an interesting idea. I mean, I would I would I would uh, surmise also just that we have definitely become very busy. We hold down our jobs. You know, the idea of spending the time picking and processing sure. is um, not agreeable to a lot of people or they don't have the time to do it, you know? Yeah. There's certain things though, that one that, and maybe mesquite might be like this cause it doesn't seem like it's that hard to harvest. And if there was some kind of system to gather it, we, we do more complicated things commercially, I think. And the one I think about all the time is acorns. Like acorns are a really interesting source of food. I, I, you know, but they do take quite a process to get to be edible, but we do lots of, processes to things industrial to make them editable right we have like lots of so i don't i don't think that it's like a stumbling block that there couldn't be a system to gather just the bounty of like there's so much acorns that are just there that just like you know <laughs> that don't ever get eaten by anyone and i i saw some ted talk a while back about acorns specifically about how you could build up an industry about it but it's just like what what do we choose what we choose to like use it's also like what can you can control but it is also, yeah, there are certain things that they take a lot of work. And I've done some foraging where it's like, yeah, I can't do this every day because there's a lot of work to it. So it's it's a, it's a, it's a balance, but yeah. Well, your po point about um, creating an industrial process is a good one. I mean, quinoa is an interesting example because mm. quinoa requires a lot of processing. After it's harvested, it has to be separated from the chaff. And then the, the seeds have to be washed with abrasion otherwise they're too bitter and can irritate uh. the throats and you know we have in in the states very common relative lamb's quarters which makes it's in the same genus kinopodium mm -hmm. quinoa kinopodium album and um you know you can use the seeds the same way you've got to process them the same way and wash them the same way so why are why is quinoa being produced you know for market and the lamb's quarter isn't you know just a matter of defining that process having enough interest in it to do it here in the states yeah and, and that i guess that going back to that eco culture idea of like probably we have to think about smaller and more local versions of these things if we want to do that instead of these large agricultural things that have to like get really big and you know 
but I think I think you know some of these foraging communities like you're involved with. There's people who are starting to think like that, um, at least on a smaller scale. So I, I, that's a positive thing. I think. I think you're right, and I would point you to if you're interested in learning more about um, the mesquite harvest. There's a group called Desert Harvesters. Oh, cool! And um, yeah, they have. I, I just was googling them because they they are um, they have some information about the mesquite harvest, and I think take people out to do it. Super cool! Yeah, I I, I gotta get into that. Okay, I don't have a ton of um, fun facts and dazzling details about mesquite, uh, partially because I knew that we'd have a lot to talk about pinion pine. Um, so let's, let's start this off as a, as, a, as like a primer. But the the thing I always love to talk about with plants on this podcast are the names of the plants. Um, now I realize now that I did not write down what the the uh, the genus name means. So I'm going to Google that super quickly. But the genus uh, uh, when we talk about mesquite, we're talking about um, many plants in the genus Prosopsis, and I want to know what that means. Do you know off the top of your head what that means? Nope. <laughs> All right, let's see. What, uh, <laughs> Sorry. It's, it's, it's fine. Uh, yeah. Uh, apparently, it is from ancient Greek, which is related to uh, burdock. I'm, I'm not sure why that means. It seems another one of those ones that is, is related to something not... Um, not I guess, well, I, I guess uh, uh, mesquite is actually a, a genus that is not only in North America. There's there's mesquites uh, around the world uh, in genus Prosopsis. Um, so that name is a, is a more of, I think, an old world name. Um, and then the the one that probably was the one in Mesquite, Texas, I think is the most common mesquite, at least in that area, is, um, is Prosopsis glandulosa, which is honey mesquite. Um, so that's, but there's a number of other ones. There's, there's one called screw bean mesquite, which looks really interesting, where the, the seed pods are smaller and look like little screws. Um, I think there's there's about five in in North America, from my understanding, uh, genus Prosopsis. But I think the most common is the is the honey mesquite. I think velvet yeah. mesquite is another one, actually. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then uh, the last thing that I have here in my notes to talk about is the name mesquite. I was, you know, this is there. There's like a very clear answer here, but there's an interesting a little mystery that I was like thinking about. So the name mesquite is pretty clear. It's 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 similar to the pinions. It's an Englishization of the Spanish word, which is mesquite. But that word comes from a Nahuatl word, which is mesquitel, which there oh. are plenty of mesquites in, in Mexico as well. Um, now, there is, I think, mesquite in Spanish also can mean mosque. And there's also, it also, huh. uh, so so there is some interesting, like, I think there are two different words in Spanish that... um that have different origins, but the word for the tree in Nahuatl is mesquitel. And so it makes sense that it became mesquite in Spanish or mesquite in Spanish. And then um, English speakers started calling it just mesquite. Um, what I find super interesting is I would, I was trying to figure this out and I have a theory and it's probably the most easy theory, but it is super interesting to me that this town in Texas that was founded in the 1800s became called Mesquite because it's named after a river called Mesquite based off of the tree called Mesquite. But that word Mesquite is a Nahuatl word. So that Nahuatl word moved relatively yeah. far, relatively early. And whether, whether it was the Spanish people who knew it in Mexico calling it Mesquite and then you know people from Spain going up there, or, or I'm very curious if that word is older, because some of those languages have some interrelations, and there might have been a version of that. But I just do find that very interesting that that word 
transferred that far to like a little Texas town is named after a, a Nahuatl word. I find that pretty fascinating. Yeah, that yeah, that's interesting. It'd be interesting to know what other indigenous folks in the region in further north um, call mesquite trees. I was trying to figure that out. That's one of those things that's very hard to Google often, and I didn't have much luck. I I, I try to do that with most plants of like, what is it? What is its you know original name in the area where it's from? And I all I could find is that it's not mesquite in in a lot of the the cultures in that area. And but uh, what what is actually called, I'm I, I'm not sure. So uh, if anyone knows, let me <laughs> audience send me a message because I, I like to know. But I do I do find that interesting that this Nahuatl word. There's a few other uh, Nahuatl words that have become common, um, like uh, tomato is one of them. It's tomato and chocolate is from a Nahuatl word. Um, yeah, but. Uh, so it's likely came with a Spanish, but it yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. This little town in Texas named after a Nahuatl word for the tree, mesquite. Yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's uh, anything else that comes to mind about mesquite? Um, well, I could I could go off on another tangent if you wanted. Yeah, let's but, do it. Let's do it. Uh, okay. Well, I will say there's another thing that uh, mesquite and pinions have in common is that they have they produce hardened balls of sap that can be chewed like gum oh and yeah i have done this with pinion gum and that is a long-standing tradition i've met people who've said oh my grandfather chewed the pinion gum um you have to get a hard nodule of resin and break it apart with your teeth and then glom it back together gradually with chewing and spitting to make it it's more like a wax really is the texture but um to, to make the gum now, I've not done this with any mesquite species, but I have a friend who told me that growing up, he would chew mesquite gum. That's as much as I know. I can't tell you what species. I assume it's all the species. Um, um, you know, I'm not sure if you, I'm sure, I, I imagine you get hardened nodules of resin off of mesquite as well, but I, I can't speak from experience on that. But yeah, interested in that. trying it. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the, the last thing I meant to mention when it comes back to mesquite barbecue, which is a real thing in Texas where you use mesquite wood yeah. for barbecue. The reason why mesquite wood is used is apparently mesquite is a very, very smoky wood when it's burned, and it gives a oh. super specific smoky flavor of this very particular kind of Texas barbecue, which, linking back to pinion pine, we didn't really talk about. I think pinion pine is a very common firewood as well, right? You see that sold, particularly out west, where people... It's a, it's a kind of a desired wood for fires, right? I think so. Um, um, I think I've read that, although I haven't looked too much into it. I would have... This is just a guest audience, and since you don't know about it, I think because it's pretty resinous, some of those, those pines, if they're dried properly, can burn really hot because they still have a lot of that like resin in them. Oh, okay. Yeah, so okay. I think I've, I've heard about pinion pine specifically being used in, in, in fires for, for that reason because they, they catch easy. So anyway... Um, oh, yeah, I think, know. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, I think that will wrap up this episode. Thank you so much. It was super fascinating speaking with you about pinion pine and mesquite. Yeah. Likewise. I really enjoyed the conversation. Mesquite championship rodeo. It's coming at you every Friday and Saturday night, April through September. Wild action packed entertainment featuring professional cowboys, cowgirls and clowns riding the meanest, toughest animals in the world. Mesquite Championship Rodeo in the Mesquite Arena, where the pavement ends and the West begins. You won't want to miss it. Interstate 635 at Military Parkway.
Indeed, I forgot to mention that Mesquite is apparently the rodeo capital of Texas. I have bought myself some mesquite flour that's on its way, and I've also bought myself a book that is called Eat Mesquite and More that is uh, published by Desert Harvesters, that group that Erica mentioned that does a lot with mesquite uh, in Arizona. And so I'm really looking forward to getting those, and uh, stay tuned to a future episode where I will most likely try to make some interesting recipes using mesquite. Now, before we go, I must tell you a joke that I thought of the other day that I was very tickled about since we were talking about pine nuts and pine trees and pine cones. And here it goes. What is the difference between a receptionist and a pine tree? What is the difference between a receptionist and a pine tree? Well, a receptionist knows how to make a phone call, and a pine tree knows how to make a cone fall. (laughs) Did I tell you that I recently had a kid? The dad jokes are very real. See you in the next episode. My guest on this episode of Rootbound was Erica Davis. Erica teaches about edible wild plants and mushrooms, and you can learn more about her, including the foraging and other wild plant-related classes she teaches at wildfoodgirl.com. That is also her Instagram handle. If you like Rootbound and you want to help support the show, visit rootboundpodcast.com support to find the ways that you can help support the show like supporting the show on Patreon. Rootbound is hosted by childhood mesquite misunderstander, Steve Ellington. Music by Christian Kriegeskota. Fake ads by David Lani. Rootbound is a podcast about plants for when you're stuck inside, but if you can go outside, don't shake the pinion pines. Venus flytraps, a plant that can eat.